Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're uh, having some decent trainings, I guess. And yeah, it feels like finally I'm starting to get my, my volume back up. It's been a, a long fight here. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's coming slowly. How about you? Uh, well, I'm finally getting my elevation back up, I guess, uh, which is pretty good given uh, today's topic. So yeah, we're we're in Brevard, North Carolina. I've been able to actually do some ups and downs and trails, and it's felt really, really good, which is why I am so excited about today's guest. Today we have Eric Orton back on the podcast. Actually, he was on with uh, author Chris McDougall back in December to talk well, about his, his co-author. Co-author, Chris, yeah, right? I'm his sorry. His co-author. Uh, we were we had them on to talk about their new book, Born to Run Two, which is uh, you know for for those in the the running world, is sort of the the second book in the Born to Run series now, if you will. Um, Born to Run, as most people know, is one of my absolute favorite books. Born to Run 2 is more of a, a training manual for running, and it's actually really fascinating. And if you liked the first book, the second book is a departure from it, but it also catches up with some of the characters from book one and also just has a lot of really practical advice in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the last episode, obviously, we were really digging into that book and kind of talking about some of the, the specifics with the book. And, you know, Chris has so many stories and we had so much we wanted to talk about about how the two books connected that I didn't get to really pick Eric's brain as much as I wanted to about running in general, but specifically how to get ready for Leadville. So I'm not doing the Leadville 100 trail run this year, but I am doing the trail marathon in hopes of, uh, you know, qualifying for the the 100. So I'm heading to Leadville. We're heading to Leadville in June so I can run the trail marathon there um, and you know, we're we're not flatlanders, but we're pretty much flatlanders. I, I uh, think we would be called that. Yeah, the, by altitude, I don't think it necessarily the the land is flat. You know, we talk about my Florida clients who are both you know pretty flat land and then also at low altitude. But so we are yeah. at low altitude, yeah. and you know, I don't do a ton of climbing training yet, so that's definitely something that uh, I really need to work on. Well, and currently we're in beautiful Brevard, uh, North Carolina. And it's a good spot to climb. So it is, you're getting it is. some exposure there. Uh, yeah, I had a few thoughts on that. I said, one, I was curious how far we were going to get into this before you said that we were talking about running Leadville. Uh, but the the bikers, the cyclists who do Leadville 100, which is one of our popular uh, training plans, and then also, you know, just a lot of clients do it. It's a big bucket list race. As Molly mentioned, I have done it in the past as well. Have held, held the Canadian record I don't for wanna, quite a while. I don't want to toot my own record I created. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're talking about the run today, but again, a lot of these factors, I I think that Eric's going to talk about training wise, uh, probably transfer over. And then also, you know, altitude, same course, largely the same, uh, you know, the climb's different. It's not the Columbine climb. It's, uh, do you recall what, what's the run climb? We're putting you on the spot here. Oh, you put me on the spot here. That's not fair. Are you going to edit this in or what are you going to do? No, no, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, we do talk about it though. It might come to me. 
Anyway, uh, we do also, on that note, have a six months to Leadville training plan, which is part of why we wanted to put this episode out right now, because we're getting pretty darn, like, we're right around that time for the bike. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Mm -hmm. if you are a cyclist who's planning on doing Leadville, like, we have that training plan. We'll link to it in the show notes. And if I'm mistaken, I'll make another one, but I'm pretty sure there's six and there's three. And don't get caught up. The six assumes you might start at, you know, four months or five months. It welcomes you in at these different checkpoints. It's tough making training plans way out in the future, but we have several training plans and then also some great resources around Leadville. So I'll I'll put some of those uh, different articles we've written over the years on Leadville in there. And and whether you're doing the run or the bike or the 100 mile or the marathon or the 10K or the the stage race, there's all sorts of things going on in Leadville. Uh, I I think we'll put that in there. Yeah, I'm... I, I will say after this episode, we talked a lot about the, you know, how to train for altitude when you're not at altitude, what to really be thinking about with Leadville, what to be preparing for, and a lot, around, a lot around pacing that I think is really applicable to both sure the bike is. and the run. Yep. Uh, one of the big things we actually talked about, and I think this is a huge one for cyclists, because Leadville starts as a pretty big pack race, right? Like there's a ton of riders on the start line, ton of runners on the start line, and it's very tempting to try to go out hard and like stay out with the, the front group. Right. But at altitude, the cost of that, Eric talks about, is just enormous. Right. So it's one of those things where it's a really hard thing to really dial your energy and effort levels down at the very beginning of a race like that. Especially for... Uh, you know, the, I was watching the, what is the, the lifetime series? You recall the name? The call of a lifetime. That's it. Thank you. Great series. We're, uh, what are we on? We're, we're on the fourth one. Yeah. We, we just watched the level episode. We just last watched level. So there's unbound. So if you're doing any of these races, we talk, call this being a student of your sport. Um, you know, you watch all the videos you watch, you know, over, you have months here to do it. So you're on the trainer or, you know, you're taking your off day. Uh, we did it, you know, vegging on the couch after the Saturday workout yesterday. And, you learn a lot. And, and indeed, they talk. I think it was Alexi uh, Vermulian, uh, one of our good friends. He He's talking about going too hard, I think, in the uh, in the, the Leadville video for the Lifetime mm-hmm. series. And, and yeah, you, it's very hard to come back. So, you have to really monitor it. But those are very, very experienced athletes who have gone to altitude often for you know weeks uh you know if not they you know some of them even live at altitude so for the rest of us i think it's, it's even more important this pacing element yeah for sure so all right without further ado let's get into this episode with eric and make sure again if you're racing leadville on the bike definitely head to the show notes to check out the six or three month training plan depending on when you are listening to this and also check out born to run too it's an excellent book all right with that let's get into it with eric Let's talk Born to Run 2. It's been out for a while now. I mean, what if uh, what have you been hearing about it? What's what's the buzz been? Are people enjoying it? What have they been stoked about? Yeah, you know, so I, I think my excitement for the book in general was how it was going to resonate to different types of runners. Mm-hmm. And that's that's exactly what we're seeing. You know, I'm hearing from people who are maybe kind of dealing with injuries or wobbles, whatever word you want to use. And and they're kind of using the program to overcome those, you know, with quick, quick results. Um, then we're, we're getting beginners who are, Hey, Hey, I'm running more than I've ever thought I could, or I have in the past and I feel great. And then where I'm kind of the corner I'm really passionate about is for those veteran runners who kind of maybe have gotten stuck into what they've always done or, Hey, maybe they've lost sight of some speed development and some strength development and going back to kind of build, rebuild that foundation. 
I'm I, that's that's what I get excited about and and how just reintroducing some things can really catapult um can performance again you know if mm-hmm. you're kind of stuck or hitting that plateau kind mm-hmm. of doing the same thing all the time that type of thing so yeah i love that i i still love the term wobbles i think it's probably one of my favorite things in the book just because it really makes yeah. you feel feel better because i feel like so much of the time we we kind of feel bad about you know, any little pain points or, you know, you just feel kind of like bummed about them, but wobbles both like it's fun, it's cute. And it implies that it's fixable, which I think is like a huge thing. Totally. And, and uh, kind of a side story is that was one of the battles we had with between Chris and the, our, our editor is that I didn't want to use the word injury mm-hmm. because I think so many so many wobbles or, or discomforts or dysfunction that runners experience aren't really injuries. It's fixable. Like you said, it's, it's not like a, I consider an injury, like a sprained ankle when mm-hmm. you kind of know when you did it and you just got to take some time off and time off takes care of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a, yeah. a lot of the wobbles and other things that we've kind of maybe experienced as runners is not in that camp. It's, it's something that's fixable and it it's an imbalance. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think when we call it an injury or if we say like, you know, if I say I have a bad knee versus I have a wobble in this knee, it's sort of, you're sentencing yourself. Basically you're saying I'm an injured runner rather than I have a thing I need to fix. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that's, that's the key that so many of what we're talking about is fixable and relatively quickly and, and something that we can all do by ourselves. And I mm-hmm. think that's the most exciting part of about that part of the book is that here's, here's so many different ways that you can do in a matter of three or four days by yourself that you don't have to go anywhere to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be up and running and, and kind of on your way. Yeah, I think there's there's so much value in just like realizing there's nothing wrong with me. It's just stuff yeah. I can work on and tweak. And I think that's just yeah. like such a powerful thing. Yeah. Well, um, that, that's what's hard to sometimes tell athletes because the body works one way, you know, regardless of who you are, the body is supposed to work a certain way. And so many athletes want to think they have something really unique wrong with them. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Everyone wants to be a zebra. Yeah. 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 And we, you know, we've had you on the podcast talking about the last book, but we didn't, we didn't really get to talk to you about your, your favorite bits. So, you know, I joked with Chris that in Born to Run, the first one, really what people got out of it is barefoot shoes and chia seeds. So if someone was reading Born to Run 2 and taking just a couple things from it, what are the things you'd want them to take? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, you know, really specifically, I think understanding what strength training most runners really, really need that most runners aren't really doing and and understanding how important leg stiffness is and what truly goes into an appropriate type of strength training to achieve what all of us want to achieve out of our running. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very different than maybe what we've been told. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think people hear strength training and they just imagine hours and hours in the gym, you know, and it just being this whole ordeal. And I think, you know, it's always so important to just kind of talk about like, it's not, it does not have to be this huge honking big thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you can, you can make it that way, but most people are going to get better through running and mm -hmm. to take another chunk out of their day or their week to go to the gym and spend 45 minutes, 75 minutes doing stuff that might get them stronger, but is it really making their running better? I think is the big question. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and since we're talking about the book, the book has very simple, but very potent um, strength programs then that we can do as a warm up mm -hmm. during our run that again is super, super potent that really steers runners in the direction that most athletes I see aren't doing that it's what they need to be doing. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, could you maybe kind of like talk through what like roughly a like strength thing looks like? Yeah. So, you know, if, if we talk, we, we often hear a lot about cadence, but if, if we, if we look at what are the criteria to have a strong, healthy body for running that's going to create performance and longevity that every runner wants to perform better and every runner wants to be able to run longer in their life or longer in their run, right? Mm -hmm. And the two things that add to that is cadence or frequency of how, how qu quickly we strike the ground and what is called leg stiffness. And leg stiffness might sound like a bad thing, but it's a very, very good thing. Mm -hmm. And leg stiffness is essentially, think of our legs as a spring or rubber band. I like to use that analogy of a rubber band of, you know, if you have an old crusted rubber band that's, you know, in the corner of your drawer that you haven't used for 15 years and you, you go to stretch it, it's going to snap, right, and break. But we don't want that in our legs. We want a nice snappy rubber band. And that's what leg stiffness is. It helps us to land and quickly get off the ground as quickly as possible, like a good spring. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's a healthy body. And that's goes into having that good cadence as well. So simply put, jump training is leg stiffness training. You know, jumping on, hopping on one foot, hopping on two feet jumping on one foot to the to the other all types of run leg stiffness training can be a form of hopping and jumping mm -hmm. um and you know so that that's kind of in you can take it as far as you want to we we put a a simple program together in the book to get people started but again it it's that's what's really going to take you to the next level as far as healthy strong running mm -hmm. i love that now this is maybe sort of a, a diversion question, divergent question here, but I'm thinking about, you know, you're talking about longevity as a runner, but are you, do you ever work with athletes where longevity and like overall health is kind of like front and center in addition to being a strong athlete? Cause that's, I'd say at my, at my current age, <laughs> I'm starting to think also not just about being the best runner I can be, but also sort of like where I'm going to be in, you know, 20 years health wise. So I think sometimes that's actually like kind of an awkward thing as a runner. Cause that's, <laughs> that's my opening intro to all my camps is that everything we're going to do at these camps or my training or whatever, whatever environment you want to think of there's a performance component 
and a longevity or a health component. Mm -hmm. And both of those should be one in the same. Mm -hmm. You might be doing one thing for performance, but it also should help you to be healthy. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be independent of each other. So everything I do goes into improving performance, but that longevity thing of of keeping our bodies feeling good, being Mm -hmm. able to run well for as long as we want to, again, whether it's within a run or within our life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny looking back at like when I trained for my first Ironman at like 22 versus yeah. when I trained for one at 30, right. very different protocols that I was following. We'll say right. Right. at 22, you're going to live forever. You don't care what you do to yourself that day. You're fine. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> and just speaking for myself, you know, I feel much better now, 20 years later after doing my first Ironman. Yeah. And and looking back at some of the mistakes I made. Um, so, you know, that whole age thing, I think we get so brainwashed into thinking that as we get older or as as we run more, we should be broken down. And that's just not the case. And it's kind of that triad of run form, training your feet and training your leg stiffness that really can make us feel better the more we run. Mm-hmm. So speaking of run form, I, I was actually thinking I, I, have to, I have to blame you and Chris for this. So in the okay. book, you have two chapters at the end. You have one that's running with kids and you're talking about running with them in a baby jogger. Yep. And the next chapter is about running with dogs. So I have a dachshund. He's not the I- fastest. So I recently purchased a dogger, which is a doggy jogger. So I now am oh. running with my no tiny dachshund in a essentially a baby jogger for dachshunds and let me tell you the difference in like how like straight up and down i am while pushing this baby jogger is well yeah i mean you you, it it pulls you you get fatigued if you're doing it wrong and you catch Mm -hmm. yourself and um so yeah i mean it's 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 its own coach Mm -hmm. but i never knew who knew that there was such a thing you know, I didn't, you can actually probably hear DW barking in the background. Yeah. I had no idea, but I was thinking, you know, we were doing this uh, van trip where we were going to be camping for two weeks. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, we can't leave him in the van, but we train at the same time. What am I going to do? And obviously I'm going to run with them. So started researching, found one. It's been so much fun. No way. <laughs> is he pretty content? He is actually weirdly. He loves getting out and doing sprints. So we now have him, he'll like sprint for a solid half a mile and let me tell you, he's going at like 630 like mile pace. It's shocking for, you know, a dog with like four inch legs, but he's crushing what it. What a so training it's, package. You, it's you, great. You can just <laughs> transport him to doing your intervals. Exactly. Pop him in, pop him out. Yeah. Keep going. It's now, great. Does he do hill repeats? Uh, so we were in Florida where it's pancake flat. Got it. So we, we've not gotten on the hills just yet, but we'll say. When you guys here. come to Jackson Hole in the summer, we'll... We'll take them to a we'll nice work on that. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta get some reps in. Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh no, this is all your fault. As yeah. I'm like getting made fun of for being the person out running with the the dog in a stroller. But that's hilarious. I'll have to check out your feed to catch a it's, picture. Obviously, there's a lot of it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. So the the other reason I wanted to talk to you is I am signed up for the Leadville Trail Marathon with hopes of qualifying for the Leadville 100. And I am currently in florida so my altitude training not crushing it right now um 
yeah, Leadville Trail Marathon. Like, give me some beta here. What's what's it look like? What do I need to know? What shoes do I wear? Come on. <laughs> Everything. I love it. Um, so are you familiar at all with the course? Other than just <laughs> the, from the website? Other than the website, reading Born to Run a billion times. Um, okay. And some familiarity with it because it, I know so many people who've done the mountain bike version, which is almost the same it's like not quite but pretty similar and like peter actually until a year or two ago had the top canadian leadville record for the mountain right. bike so, so familiar keep in but mind not... <laughs> the marathon course is completely different than the 100 mile course mm -hmm. so the, the marathon course essentially goes up mosquito pass and comes right back down mm -hmm. so you're, you're talking you're obviously going plus thirteen thousand feet um, but it's essentially like kind of like a, a really rugged Jeep road, mm -hmm. um, pretty technical from a, from a Jeep road standpoint. Um, you know, so, so yeah. So where do we want to start? Um, Florida. Not ideal. <laughs> Since you've been to Leadville before, do you have much racing at altitude experience? No. Okay. So we are, we are booked to stay in Breckenridge for the two weeks ahead of Leadville. Okay. So we will be okay. at altitude beforehand, but and not that's good. Cause I was, I was, that was my second question is that I think that two week period is crucial. Um, sometimes people for your listeners out there, they make the mistake of saying, Oh, I'll get there a couple days beforehand. And that actually kind of can backfire. Mm -hmm. um, I would rather an athlete do what you're doing of getting there two weeks beforehand. So your body can kind of settle in mm -hmm. or getting in the day before kind of that two to three, four days before your body starts to kind of freak out a little bit about being at altitude, especially at Leadville, you're at 10,000 feet, just being in the town. Um, so that can kind of work against you. So mm -hmm. think getting there for a long period of time or the shortest amount of time. Mm -hmm. so, we um, were originally thinking about the shortest period of time, yeah. but we ultimately decided it made more sense yeah. to try to do it right if we were going to do it at all. And one one thing I had in my notes, um, I think what would be really good is once you do get the Breck, is um, obviously drive the course if possible. Um, and if you're able to or anywhere, I would drive as high as possible and just hang out, read a book, listen to your Billy Idol soundtrack, <laughs> your Ramones, pull out the Ramones soundtrack and, and just hang out for a couple hours. So now you're up 13,000 feet getting some acclimatization. Mm -hmm. And then when you come back down to 10,000 feet, it's almost like that train high, live low, or was it live high, train low, Mm -hmm. philosophy of once you go back to, to your 10,000 feet, your body starts to adjust a little bit. So mm -hmm. rather than spending a lot of time physically exerting yourself at high altitude, it'd be better to sit up high, read a book, and then come back down and do your run down as low as possible. Uh, okay. I like that. I like okay. that. Um, and, um, and then since you're in Breck, you know, I, I would, you know, just do your normal training. Um, but I think with that, you're going to want to obviously stay hydrated. That'll be a key thing because, you know, Huge, you know yeah. at 
that altitude, you're not going to know you're sweating and you're just going to lose a lot, especially since you're up there for two weeks. Um, so hydrate. Um, and I think coming into the race as fit as possible is always kind of the best antidote for altitude. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that kind of segues into race management and race strategy, which we can dive into, or if you have questions before that. Let's let's hit the the race strategy. Actually, I guess maybe the first bigger like question is, I mean, I look at the results and it's a lot of Colorado people yep. in the top. Do you think it's possible to do well in there as someone who doesn't live at altitude? Uh, absolutely. I, I you know, um I think any type of race like this, especially with this course at this altitude, it all comes down to really understanding race strategy and therefore, and we'll dive into that. It's really taking advantage of the downhill, mm-hmm. which then it's, it's all about ability anyways. So if you have the ability, the raw ability to compete with people from Colorado, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. I like the sound of this downhill thing because that is actually a downhill on like a Jeep road actually is probably my like zone of, of greatness. I'm not the best super technical. Like if it's super twisty, I'm not the best. And if it's pavement, I'm okay, but I'm really good on ATV tracks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's the key with a style of course like this, because so many people put so much emphasis on the climbing and, and then there's just no emphasis on having the strategy of running really well downhill when you're able to now make up three, four mini three or four minutes per mile. Right. Because now you're throwing in altitude. And once you get above 12,000 feet, you're probably hiking anyways. So, you know, you're, you're not gaining a whole lot of time by backing off a little bit, going uphill to be fresh, then to turn around and bomb, Half the race is downhill. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're fresh, that second part of that race, able to run well downhill, now you're going to be so much better suited to, you know, pick off people that maybe went too hard going up. Mm-hmm. I admit I'm a big out and back person. I love an out and back and I love races like this that are so clearly segmented into like two parts. I think that's just such a like fun. It's an easier mental thing, right? Cause it's almost, it's not a marathon. It's two half marathons in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I, I would, you know, getting back to your training in Florida, I would, we will be going to North Carolina next week. So I will okay. have Hill access. We are not okay. just staying so, flat forever here. <laughs> again, so I, I think doing some tempo style efforts in Florida, when you're at sea level, when the turnover is very, very fast or faster than it was going to be on trails is then going to suit you for once you do go to North Carolina and then eventually Colorado. So Mm -hmm. having that flat turnover can really benefit this downhill strategy we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Then when you go to North Carolina, focus just as much on your downhill training Mm -hmm. as you would maybe your uphill. Cause again, so many people think, okay, now it's, it's 13 miles uphill at 13,000 feet. I'm really going to focus on getting strong. 
and then they 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 neglect to have their downhill legs. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I also really appreciate like the tact you're taking as we're talking about this is, you know, me being in Florida right now is not necessarily a detriment. Like, I think I really respect a coach who is like, let's work with the terrain that you're in instead of, oh, well, you're in Florida. Well, there's not much you can do. No, it's let's problem solve this, which I love. Yeah. So, you know, again, just turning, doing that almost overspeed type of thing relative to being on trail and, and eventually at altitude mm-hmm. is that, you know, you're, you know, I would love to see you do, a, you know, lots of tempo stuff that's just high turnover. So when you do, it's going to help your climbing, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to help everything. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, nutrition at altitude. What's other than like being well hydrated, are, are there any like nutrition considerations we should keep in mind? Yeah, you know, nutrition's tricky in general, but then now you're, you know, you're looking at a race that starts at 10,000 feet and goes up from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, I think you've got to hone, you know, either liquid or gel types of something that's not solid food. Because mm-hmm. the higher you go, the more your, your body's going to not want to process it. Yep. So I tend to, this kind of goes with the race strategy also is that a lot of times I'll tell my athletes at this altitude with this type of climb, if you're not able to fuel on the uphill because of either your effort or the, or the altitude, you're going too hard, slow it down. So you're able to eat, Mm -hmm. which will then help you manage your effort and then go into the strategy of being ready for the downhill. So, you know, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. That, you no, know, I so, but I, I, I would practice maybe with, um, a lot of liquid calories. Um, yeah. And, and frequency I think is going to be key. You yeah. Know, again, with it, you know, you're kind of your iron, almost similar to what you do on the bike for Ironman mm-hmm. you know, of, of using that first climb like you would fuel on the bike, preparing yourself for a faster run. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I think for the longer distance stuff, people really kind of overemphasize the like range of food where it's like, Oh, you might want a pizza or you might want this. And it's like, yeah, if you're hiking the whole thing, maybe you want a pizza at the top, but like, I'm a, like, I'm a tailwind person. Like that's what I have. And I have one pack. That's what's in it. Like drinking from it the whole time. And I find yeah, the steadier, even, even cyclists, I find we're really attached to gels, which are great. But the problem is it's a hundred calories that you have to like open and take. That's why I'm a big fan of the liquid nutrition for anything like this, where you're going to be bouncing around and like, you know, it's not always going to be super easy to pull out your thing and rip the top and finish the gel. And, but you know, and and you're absolutely right. You know, um, making it as efficient as possible because everything's going to be so much harder at altitude, you know, so the less energy you have to have to do anything, the better. And just being able to sip, I think having that constant stream um, in you for that first 13 miles. um, One thing you, and I'm not a big bladder, you know, hydrator, um, so I'm just saying this more out of how I would look look at things for that downhill is you might 
transition to a handheld mm. for the downhill because now it's going to be technical and you're going to want to run relatively fast. So being able to like just dexterity and coordination of, sure. of using a handheld might be a little bit better than trying to do the tube thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a thought. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, and I mean, while we're talking about like clothing, what's what can someone expect at Leadville? Because I feel like from a clothing perspective, it's super weird to figure out what to wear. Marathon's a little easier because you're not out all night. So at least we have that going for us. But yeah, what so am I, one, what am one I thing I would do is, you know, maybe the day you go check out the course that you are doing that at the time of the day of the court of the race. Mm-hmm. So I would I would even treat it as such as, Hey, I forget what time the race starts. 7am, I think. Yeah. So, you know, you're driving, you know, you're planning to be there maybe at 630 mm-hmm. going for a nice warm up run, shakeout run to get a sense for temperature at 630. So you can dial in to know what type of clothes that you might want to start. Mm-hmm. And then as you drive up the course, you're also maybe getting out and checking what temperatures are like um, while you're ascending up to 13,000 feet. Get out at 13,000 feet, see what it feels like. Maybe you run a little bit. I don't know if you guys trade trade um, jobs by driving and running, just do as much as you can to get a sense for what the temperatures feel like mm-hmm. during that time. Um, also at somewhat of a race effort, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So again, you're dialing into clothes, you know, arm warmers might be the thing where, you know, you're easily able to, you know, take on and off your arm warmers, um, lightweight jacket. Um, you're definitely going to want, um, you know, I always have a buff, you know, those buffs are so versatile, whether it's, you know, around your neck and then you can pull it up over, you know, Mm -hmm. just easy stuff like that to really be prepared for quickly changing weather. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Cause up there, right. It can be super nice. And then suddenly it's not. Yeah. And, that, and that's why they started so early. You know, typically you're probably going to be done before the, the afternoon thunderstorms, mm-hmm. um, but you essentially want to be prepared for anything. Yeah. You know, it could snow, you know, mm-hmm. right. You know, so I think just the key is, when you're doing your reconnaissance, just get out up on top of the summit, see what it feels like, see what the temperature is somewhat at the time you might be at that summit at the mm-hmm. race. And then you can really get a sense for what you need for clothing. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. And Okay. So we know altitude is going to be just a kick in yeah. the ass. Like there's, yeah. there's no avoiding that, but from like, from a mental perspective, how do I get through it on race day? Like, and I think this is a question, you know, whether you're biking it, whether you're doing the hundred, the run, the marathon, whatever. I think everyone has this question of just like, is it actually as bad as I think it's going to be? And if so, what do I do? Only if you're not smart. <laughs> right. You know, so again, if, if the altitude's kicking your ass on, on the ascent, you're going too hard. Mm-hmm. And again, the difference between going too hard and just right is a difference between an easy run or a hike. Mm -hmm. And so making 
moment-to-moment decisions as to whether to hike or run is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just one decision. You know, right. even though you're climbing, there's going to be ups and downs. It's just, hey, five steps and you have a downhill, run the downhill, mm-hmm. and then you're back hiking again. Mm-hmm. So you're managing the terrain every moment of the time. Every step is a decision whether you should be hiking or running mm-hmm. to keep the effort appropriate. Yeah. So it sounds like this, a lot of the race is going to be this very internal, like, you know, how, how am I doing versus how, how is everyone else on the course doing at what point do you start thinking about how everyone else is doing? (laughs) Yeah. I I think once, let me back up to continue to answer your earlier question. I, I think the mental strategy is 13 mile warm up, Mm -hmm. 13 mile race. Love it. (laughs) Okay. So as you're making that ascent, keep asking yourself, when I get to the top at this effort, will I be able to pick it up? Will I be able to apply the gas? And if the answer is no, back off. Because Mm -hmm. again, the, the amount of time you can make up by running really well downhill is two, three, four minutes per mile. Okay, versus maybe losing out on 15 seconds per mile going uphill. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't you that that's the savings that you want to have because now you're making up so much time going downhill because you're able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that that goes down to your last question of once you hit the summit, it'll say, okay, warm-up's over. Time to apply the gas. I love the downhill. You're good at the downhill. And that's, hey, now I'm going to start seeing how many people I can pick off. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then warm up and cool down. Because now now I'm thinking, you know, you're getting there, a little freaked out. What's the warm up look like? And I'm also thinking from the, you know, coming in hot, you're coming downhill, you're finishing this race after 13 right. miles right. downhill. It's really tempting to collapse at the finish line, but I feel like that's probably a recipe for disaster legs. Well, I, I think that, again, that goes into the, the training aspect, you know, to, you know, again, so many people put emphasis on the climbing legs and the climbing strength, putting all that downhill work in so your body and your legs aren't um, breaking down on the downhill. Obviously, you want to push yourself, you're, you're your competitor, and so that that's always that fine balance of, of you know how hard can you push and can you sustain it without having diminishing returns right mm-hmm. you know but ag- again one thing we haven't talked about is that now when when we're doing our 13 mile warm up in a 13 mile race downhill we're eliminating the altitude right okay so now if you, you you're questioning the altitude thing think that Altitude only is a factor for 13 miles, not 26 miles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's another reason why to really take advantage of the downhill, because now you're leveling yourself with all the other Colorado people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now it's just your ability against their ability. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's again, really comes into training that downhill in North Carolina 
and mm-hmm. really saying, okay, hey, it's all about the downhill for this race. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you wrote about downhill in Born to Run too, and you're talking a little bit about not overstriding on the downhill. Can you kind of can talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So downhill running is some of the best forms of strength training you can do because it's eccentric. You know, that, that loading of that landing is really good strength if we do it well. Mm-hmm. So what I have my athletes do early season is all the downhill running they do is slow enough where they're able to forefoot strike or land kind of flat-footed and not heel strike, so to speak, mm-hmm. and not reach out. If if they're if they're needing to heel strike, they're running too fast. Mm-hmm. And so now, even though the running's easy early season, we're developing a lot of this strength, this good eccentric loading that's wonderful, wonderful strength if the form is good. Mm-hmm. And then through time, you've adapted to that good form. And then as your season progresses and you're getting into the point where, you know, you're two months out and you need to be running downhill fast. Now you have that form in your ba- in your brain and you're running faster and faster with, with good form mm-hmm. and not reaching out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so one of my contradictory rules is that, when it comes to form, it's what you're doing most of the time that's most important. Once you get to the race, especially the shorter the race, the more you kind of you gotta just go for go it. Go with right? what's yeah, yeah, go with what's going you know? fast. So if it's a hundred mile <laughs> race, I would be way more concerned about form because mm-hmm. that's part of breakdown. Now you're talking about a 13 mile race. Hey, maybe that goes out the window a little bit because you're you know, you wanted to do your best and you just do what you need to do to run your best. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's short enough where you might beat up the quads, but it's it's not from a detrimental performance standpoint. Mm-hmm. All I'm picturing now is coming down the mountain. And I remember having a friend in a fixed gear, like alley cat bike race, like yeah. 20 years ago, yeah. bombing down a hill, just screaming, I'm not stopping for you because he just could not <laughs> stop his <laughs> And I feel like that's just going to be me on race days running down. I can't stop. Yeah. I'm not stopping for you. <laughs> yeah. and, and really practice that overspeed in, in training, you know, mm-hmm. again, do it's, it's, it's trying to add as much variety to the type of downhill you're doing. Do, do fast three minutes because that's going to make your 13 mile turnover feel so much easier. Mm-hmm. You know? So just add, add a ton of variety. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else about Leadville that I should know? And this could well, even be, there's a really good coffee shop because I also want to know that. <laughs> there's, well, there used to be a good coffee shop and I I haven't been there in a few years and I heard it shut down. Nuts. But I don't, I, I there's got to be a good coffee shop in Must town. be. Must be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I forgot to answer your warm-up question. Oh, yeah. Because that's super important. So, the key, there, there's two reasons for your warm-up. One, to dial into the proper clothing to start. Mm-hmm. So you're maybe doing 10, 15 minutes of just super easy zone one, just kind of just getting a sense, just warming up the body so you understand what appropriate clothing is to start the race. Mm-hmm. Um, once that's done, then you maybe want to throw in some pickups, but then add in kind of maybe like a two-minute build. Uh, up to race effort 
on on the uphill. Mm-hmm. So your leg has gotten used to uphill at altitude. Um, so in other words, you don't want a race effort to be the first time at the start of the race. You want to have done that before. So your body's used to that and it'll mm-hmm. eliminate that kind of out of breath, second wind type of feeling once you do start. Oh yeah. Okay. Know that feeling um, well. <laughs> um, and then the trick is try to do that two minute race effort in your warm up as close to the start of the race as possible. And that's always tricky based on kind of the dynamics of any race. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that you want to, you, you want to close that gap from finishing the warm up and starting the race as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And with that said, like, you know, there often is a lot of that standing around in the start corral. What are your yeah. thoughts for like, what do you do in the start corral? Should I be doing like little tiny jumps? Should I be like Early. taking yeah. deep breaths? Like, um, I, I think, yeah, you want, you want to stay warm and it's, you know, it's going to be cool. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, I don't know if you'll have, is, is Peter racing too, or is he? No, he'll just be there. You know, um, you know, another thing is you could, um, I know at the Leadville 100, you know, we'll have like old clothing mm-hmm. that you'll wear waiting for the gun to go off and then you just ditch it and, mm-hmm. and not worried about whether you get it back or not. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of goes into that reconnaissance day of really understanding how cold it is and maybe what you might need just while you're standing and waiting for the race to start and and knowing your personality of how much can you handle it? Cause you know, it's, it, it's not a problem once the gun goes off, it's, it's that in-between period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... What, you know, with that, what I would recommend is maybe getting in front and just running back and forth from mm-hmm. the start line into the course and back. And then when they get everybody really ready, you can just kind of, you know, find your spot in in there mm-hmm. and just and, stay warm. Yeah. Now the starts, these races are always a little, uh, a little hectic, a little speedy. Do you think it is worth going out like a little hard to start just to kind of be out of the scrum or just be comfortable no. in the scrum and that, it, don't get caught in that because it's, it's starting at too high of an altitude. And once, once you go above threshold because of the altitude, you will not get it back. Yep. Just, you, you, you would have to stop and walk for several minutes just to bring that down because of the altitude. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that kind of goes into your mental strategy is I'm not getting caught up in it. This goes into the warm up and say, Hey, this, you know, come up if you're doing heart rate you know come up with a heart rate ceiling that you're not going to go over and just be true to that mm-hmm. and realize that hey it's a 13 mile warm up and then the race starts yeah yeah um, because yeah. It, it yeah you'll 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 never get it back at that altitude mm-hmm. on the note of heart rate are there any heart rate straps that you really like for runners this is one thing i haven't done in a while my wrist one is like not super accurate and i'm starting right. to feel like for this one it's probably good yeah. to be a little more dialed. I'm I've been a Sunto guy. Um, just I don't know. I I just always like them, and their their straps work well, mm-hmm. well for me. But many of my athletes have Garmin, and I think maybe the key is since there is some inaccuracies now, 
try to use a strap that matches the brand of watch that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a Garmin watch, get a Garmin strap. Or mm-hmm. um, I had an athlete who had a Garmin and bought a Wah- Wahoo strap. Yeah. And it just, there's some conflict there. So yeah. 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 Now that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, all right. Yeah. Well, I could obviously talk about this all day, but I might just yep. stress myself into oblivion here. So uh, before we go though, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find the book, all the fun stuff. Yeah. So the, um, both born to run too. And my other book, cool impossible can be That's right. You know, yeah. I'm sorry. I always forget to say that you have two books and I yeah. knew that well, it's been out a while. So, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Amazon, you know, any, any bookstore is going to have it brick and mortar, but Amazon obviously is going to have it. Um, I think, uh, my biggest social platform is YouTube born to run coach, Eric Orton. Um, I have, weekly videos on coaching content that that's my biggest platform, but I'm also on Instagram and ericorton.com is, is kind of everything about me too. So nice. And are you doing any, uh, I, uh, in real life camps coming up anytime soon or what's, what's on the schedule? Yeah. What's on the schedule. So I will be, we're actually going to be in Colorado in mid-April for a surprise shoe launch. Um, and then I can't say anything more than that. So don't even try to pry it out of me. Ah, uh, we'll just have to keep an eye out. Yeah, and, geez. And, um, and then I will be at Ragnar Zion to do some stuff there. Um, that's yes. a the Ragnar Trail relay in mm-hmm. Zion, Utah, um, St. George area. Um, and then after that, it's, I just, I get so many visitors coming to Jackson to train that my summers really spent kind of dealing with athletes coming to visit. Love um, it. yeah. So good problems. Good problems. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 